Romans 10, verses 1 to 17, and that's at page 1137 of your Bibles. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses described in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does he say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That is, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not for all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the word and the message is heard through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a real privilege to be here today to see some old friends and to make some new ones, but particularly for your part to say thank you for your partnership with um, Serving Mission, SIM, in the Gospel. It's thrilling to be with a church that supported Jill Island and continues to do so in prayer, but also personally as she's come back from Thailand and is living amongst you now. Thank you very much for the partnership we share through sending her. I think there are moments that you just live for as a missionary. We were serving overseas in Uganda and we had a, 
a guy came and made some book, bookshelves for us. He brought one or two first and then three or four. He kept on bringing them because there were quite a few books to be, to be housed. And as he came, he just kept asking questions. The first question was, Steve, you're a Christian, yeah? Um, why do you believe in three gods? Oh, it's interesting you say that because Jesus says there is only one God in three persons. We opened up John's gospel and just showed him very clearly, simply really. Third, fourth bookcase came and he said, Here, Steve, can, you, can we sit down and study the Bible again? Because I've got another question. Why do you believe God died on a cross? Great question. Well, we believe God died on the cross as a man taking our punishment for what we deserve. Just led him to those simple passages of 2 Corinthians 5 at the end of that chapter. He came back with the last bookcases and said, Steve, I really need to talk to you. And he brought his friend John. He said, can you tell him what you told me because we both want to give our lives to Christ. I hadn't even prayed for the guy. (laughs) There I was, a missionary in Kampala. He was with me, coming to take bookcases to me, and I was ashamed. But as I prayed, he said, can you come to my village? And I said, of course I can come. He said, how? I said, how far is it? He said, it's not far at all, he said. Three hours later, chickens around my ankles, sweating like a pig. I ended up um, being placed in front of his whole family. He'd gathered them there. He gave me a bottle of Coke for hospitality. He said, tell them what you told me about Jesus. They've never heard. Maybe I don't have to tell you, but there are billions of people in this world in that position. Without a church like this, without a youth group that that our children grow up in, without a camp they might go to, without a colleague who might tell them about Jesus. And as a church, it's good just to think, where should we focus our mission efforts? 95% of the, the church's mission support generally goes to those places where there is a church, where the church is already what about those places of North India, Nepal, places in that so-called 1040 window where so many have no Christians around, no one to tell them? <clears throat> the thing is, we live in the UK when, we, when respect for Jesus and his teaching is on decline amongst many, but that's the definition of, of marriage or what gets taught in our schools. It's easy to think, I think, in this country that no one actually wants to hear anymore. I wonder if that's your experience. In a recent YouGov poll in uh, actually March this year, 100,000 people were asked a load of questions, and those self-identifying as Christians, only, well, firstly, they were more likely to believe in ghosts than they were the devil. But only 25% of those self-identifying as Christians in this country would say they definitely believed that there was a hell. That's going to do something to your evangelism, isn't it? Because there's no need to share anymore. So in times like these, we need a sober faith and we need to be reminded of the basic truths to have courage of conviction. So we keep on praying, keep on sending, keep on equipping our own to be going locally and globally with the gospel. 
So I thought we'd just briefly this morning see what was it that drove Paul, what was his heartbeat that led him to pray and to ask the Roman church to send him in mission. So if you've closed your Bible, please do open it in Romans 10. Because there in in verses 1 to 17, we see very simply that his conviction that Jesus lived that totally justified life wasn't the only thing. It was the fact that Jesus gives that totally justified life to anyone who trusts in him. In verse 1, Paul writes of, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, that's his own people, is that they may be saved, rescued from God's rights, holy anger at our wrongs. And that heart's desire is something that's come up before in Romans 9, where he's talked about the yearning. He wished, he says at the start of Romans 9, that he could be cut off for the sake of his brothers and sisters, Jews, who would reject, rejected Jesus. And it brought him to his knees in prayer, yearning. Verse 2 explains why or what went wrong, why they fell short. He says, I can testify about them that they are, they're zealous for God. Yeah, they're passionate. They don't lack sincerity. But where's their zeal based? It's a very politically incorrect thing to say nowadays, isn't it? But he says they're sincerely believing in the wrong place. They're sincerely not believing in what's been revealed in Jesus Christ. It's not based on the knowledge that comes from God. How did that come about? Verse 3. They didn't know that righteousness, that justification, that justified life that comes from God. And what it, what it means there in the Greek is literally they didn't choose to recognize it. <laughs> they saw it in Jesus, but they chose not to accept it. And in, in doing so, they basically said, I'll do it myself, thank you very much. They sought to establish their own way of being justified before God. In doing so, they refused, verse 4, the only one, that righteous king, Jesus, the only one who had lived the totally justified life, they had refused him. He was the completion of all the Old Testament law. He did it all for us. They cut themselves off from the only one who could save them. I don't think you have to go very far in the UK to see how we do it in modern-day Britain. We may may not do it by adding extra rules to our our lives, but we would do it in very different ways. I was in in the pub the other week with a teacher from Ipswich who said to me, just very simply said, Steve, I I haven't lived that bad a life. You know, I've, I've loved my wife pretty well. I'm a pretty good dad, he said. I'm not like Jimmy Savile. And I said, well, the thing is, you seem pretty keen on your own righteousness, but by whose standards? And yeah, it's a simple question. Any, but any of us could have that, that, this, this conversation. It was such, such a simple conversation. He said, well, well, what do you mean, Steve? And I said, well, by whose standard do you, do you judge yourself? He said, well, societies. I said, well, how about by God's standards? And he looked at me and he said, Steve, if you go there to use his words, I'm absolutely stuffed. That's what he said. But the striking thing was that he didn't care 
We live in a society where God is just in the mind. And if he's just in the mind and not out there, then whatever you believe in your mind, well, that's just for you to believe it. It has no impact on anyone else. Do you see, we just justify ourselves in this country by saying that just taking God out of the picture and redefining the standard by which we would be judged. But as we see in Jesus, we see a man who you cannot do that with, who, who perfectly just kept God's law, but also gives right standing to anyone who come to him. And <clears throat> the beauty of this message is found in the two options. So in verse 5, he says, if you want to go down the line of justifying yourself or of, saying, of justifying your life, then you've got to obey all of God's law. That's what Moses taught, verse 5. Actually, the way of faith talked about in Deuteronomy 30, that way is a way of trust. Trust in what God has declared in Jesus. So it means we don't have to say in our hearts, well, who's going to go to heaven to to bring God down because Jesus has already come? Neither do we have to say, well, who's going to go down into the dead to to bring some life back from the grave because Jesus has already come back from the grave. What does it say, the faith that says I'm justified in my life? It says that the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And that's the word that we are proclaiming. And that's the message that everyone in this church, sent from this church, is commissioned to to take out. The message of verse 9, that Jesus Christ is Lord, the man Jesus that, you know, however tall he was as a Jewish man, was that promised king, the Christ, who is now the resurrected governor king of this universe, no matter what we say. That's why you pray for your mission partners. That's why you send. That's why you pray for your community. It's in your heart. It's in your life. You have believed in Jesus, which means you're standing with him, and much like my niece, who stood with her, her, um, her dad, who was in the special forces and received a, a medal of gallantry from, from the Queen, she said to me afterwards, I knew the only reason I was there watching my dad joke with the Queen and receive a medal was because of what he had done. She knew she had done nothing to deserve to be there. But just because she was with him, she was qualified. And it's exactly the same when it comes to faith in King Jesus, our captain. When we stand with him, he qualifies us by what he has done in his death. To, to be in the presence of, of the greatest royalty of this universe, God himself. And the, the message this morning in mission is, where's our focus? Because Paul is quite clear in, in verses 11, 12, 13, that God is wonderfully indiscriminate about who should receive this. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Jew or from any other nation. Anyone and everyone, he says, verse 11 and 13. Anyone and everyone, he's quoting from the Old Testament. Anyone and everyone who trusts in Jesus like we have can receive this right standing this justified life because we stand with him. 
We live in extraordinary times. In North India, there are hundreds of tribes without a gospel witness. And one of our my colleagues, Shashi Christian, goes around northern India and, and, and Nepal overseeing church planting teams amongst the Hindu populations there. It's a long-term work, but there is no church there. In Mali, my, the, the man who does my job in, in, in Mali, called Joshua Ngunta, a Nigerian, I was with him in Togo just hearing how the work was going on. He said after the 2012 Tuareg up, uprising against the Islamicists, that the French pushed them back, and ever since, those Muslim tribes around the capital there, where there are many are gathered, are now calling out to him and his missionary partners to come and tell them. They're saying, when can you come to our village to tell us about Isa? There's a great openness. These people have never heard. What do they need? They need workers. In, in Niger, do you remember um, last year with the Charlie Heb- Hebdo burnings of the churches in Niger? I sat with six church leaders from the Nigerian capital. And as they rebuilt their churches, their heartbeat was the salvation of the Nigerian people. They had over 30 young Muslim men saying, we're fed up with what we're seeing in Islam. Tell us about Jesus. We want to know Isa. We are seeing a, a movement of God amongst the Muslim populace. As people pour into Europe, we have 60% of the people from Syria and from Iraq and Afghanistan are nominal Muslims. Not to be feared, but to be welcomed and integrated and helped. And speaking to churches in Berlin and Stuttgart, they say, we don't need your money. That's one thing to say to an affluent church. We need workers. They've got thousands of of Muslim background people in their church communities, around their church communities. They have no idea how to reach them. They're saying, give us some help. (laughs) Help us. Is there anyone here who knows German, French, any European language? You could go in retirement. (laughs) You could share, especially if you have Farsi or Arabic, former missionaries, I'm sure. You could learn German with them and share your life with them and the gospel. They need workers. What would make any of us do that? It's the conviction, as I close, verses 14 to 17. That conviction that actually you can't call out to someone you don't believe in. (laughs) You know, picture the mother and child remaining in, in a refugee camp in Lebanon they may be calling out the idea of a God they've heard about, but not knowing the God who's made himself known in Jesus. Who's going to tell them? The seven million people who have been forcibly having to migrate from their country. But also you can't believe in someone you've never heard of, can you? You can't hear without the church sending someone to tell you. That's a Thai child who's learnt the sevenfold path of, to enlightenment through, Buddhi- through Buddhism. They may grow up as a, in urbanised Thailand, never having anyone who can work alongside them to share the gospel in a language they can understand. 
And the thing we want to think is, is this. What do you pray for? When Paul saw this reality, he was moved to his knees in prayer. He knew what he had heard. He knew Jesus had lived that justified life and generously gives it to anyone who trusts in him. But he knew that you cannot trust in Jesus without someone actually telling you. So what about those two billion? Do you pray for them as a church? How about it? Start country by country. You never know what God will do through you as you do that. I think we show in what we pray what we really believe. And one of the things to really do in response to this passage is to, is to take this passage and to thank and to celebrate what God has done for you and I. And to ask the question in prayer, Lord, how would you use me or this church in sharing this message with those who have never heard? Who told you? Do you remember them? Maybe the youth leader in your youth group or the students in your campus or the worker you worked alongside who had that distinctive life that you wouldn't get away from or maybe just your parents. But imagine those places where there are no Christian parents, no Christian workers to live a distinctive life, no Christian camp to share the gospel, no church to wander into on a Sunday morning. Pray for them and go to them and share this message with them. Shall I pray? Father, a moment of quiet, we just remember those who told us. And we're just so thankful for the people who shared their lives and the gospel with us. We thank you for their beautiful feet. And Lord, with the conviction that faith and trust in you comes from hearing this message as it did to us, we pray you would use us by your Spirit. Surprise us with how you might do that. But change our hearts, grip us afresh with the gospel need of this world. And use this church to do great things for you. In your name we pray. Amen.